Good morning. Thank you, fire beings, for seeking fire. Thank you, children of fire, for seeking fire. We've been um, turning around non-duality this fall, and I've had lots of um, images about, you know, like what, what's a gesture of non-duality? I think way in the beginning of the fall, I was going like this. <laughs> I can't remember who it was. Someone was like, what about this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> so for those who can't see, like putting arms around or opening up. Um, lately, this image keeps coming, and it's just these little moments where um, some some things that that my, some part of my mind thinks are separated are connected, and it's like a um, the image is like a is like sewing, and it, and it goes like so it takes something like the past and the present and goes sp- <laughs> like cosmic knitting needles. Um, and for me Sashin is full of that because I've um, experienced a lot of them and so sometimes I'm here and sometimes I'm like far away in the mountains but it's like here or sometimes the mountains are here and I and I am somebody else (laughs) and also myself one of the things I wanted to offer this morning is is a like a weaving, you know, it's also weaving, weaving together of these old stories from the tradition and our actual lives in this time. I also wanted to check and see if anyone has been seeing the moon in the morning. If not, I really recommend it. <laughs> It's like a perfect crescent this morning in the east. So look in the east because it's rising in the morning. And just, who knows what's next to it? Come on, you astrologer. Yeah, but which, do you know what it is? No, it's Venus. <laughs> I love astrology. I'm going to just say it. Um, and Venus, uh, Venus is also the morning star. <sighs> There's a really funny... Saturday Night Live skit recently. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so tired. Like the possibility for tangents are big. I'll try to. Anyway, I, I do. I do want to say though, there's this really funny Saturday Night Live skit that because apparently, lots of male-identified people think about ancient Rome all the time. <laughs> or there's been some study that shows this, which is it is hilarious and it's also like, oh, explains a lot of things. <laughs> and then and then so there's all so it's like they're showing all these straight couples and the and the women are all like why well, won't he pay attention and the guy's like thinking about rome and then <laughs> and then that the, they were and then somehow it's like well what are the women thinking about <laughs> go, astrology astrology <laughs> and i was like <laughs> It makes us what we are. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
because it, it does. And, um, you know, astrology was, a, was actually a big part of the historical Buddha's world. There are, are traditional in the stories, you know, um, it's a big part of the cultures he came from, at least in the history as we know it. And Venus, the, or the morning star, as she often gets called, um, is what Buddha sees on the morning of his awakening. And, and you know, if you're not into astrology, Venus, the, the aspects of Venus, the archetypes of Venus are, um, she, she's a beneficent, she's a beneficent, a, a giver of benefit, love, connection, art, beauty, relationship. And that, and like, it, I think it's really not insignificant that that is the morning star that the Buddha woke up to. So please, tomorrow morning, if you can, if you get here on time, which it's a big ask, I do appreciate that to be here by 5.30 in the morning, please try, because it's so wonderful to move through the city in the quiet and see if you can get a view of the eastern sky on your way. Okay, so I do want to see if there's a way we can collectively feel like these old stories are totally do have something to do with your pain and my pain and how we meet it in this world right now. So the first story, one of the first, or one of the stories that we've been talking about is this encounter where a student at, comes up to um, Bauche who's fanning himself and um, and asks about <clears throat> why he's doing that, and this so this is a question about Buddha nature. And um, is there anyone who's never heard the terminology Buddha nature? I mean, I feel like you're being put on the spot. I mean, there's a way that that Buddha nature gets spoken a lot in, at least in the Zen places I practiced. Um, and maybe there's a way that we intuitively all have a feeling for it. But I, even just yesterday, I felt like I, I, I felt into some layers of Buddha nature I hadn't actually noticed before. Um, I think usually when I think of Buddha nature, I think of, well, I think, it, you know, maybe in some simplistic forms, it, this, what it is is that all beings have the capacity, the seeds of the capacity to wake up in us. Um, which I think it, that's a big part of it. And, I, and when I think of Buddha nature, I think it, to me, it's like I, I realize I've created in my mind around it like a refuge. It's a refuge of like a deep, um, in, innermost part of all of us that is wisdom. And, um, and that might come out in any moment. But as I was um, thinking about it in the past couple of days, I have been also appreciating that Buddha nature is also, it's, it is that. And what that is, is how we are connected to all things. And I think it's actually kind of a skillful means that I spent maybe the first 30 years of practice <laughs> thinking that that's pleasant <laughs> and good and easy or some, a place of ease. And I think, it, and it is. 
And also it's the way we're connected to all things. So in its essentialness, it's, um, it's the wisdom of how we are everything. And that includes a lot of things that are very, very painful. Charlie was reminding me this morning that Dogen says, all beings, whole being is Buddha nature. And I think the grammar is on purpose. All beings, whole being is Buddha nature. Dogen Zenji also says, the whole earth is the true human body. So this monk, uh, you know, as we were talking about before, similar to Dogen in his lifetime was asking about, well, if we have essential Buddha nature, if, if we're elementally wisdom, how come we have to make so much effort? I think another question is also like, how come we lose sight of that so easily? And I think that's actually part of the, the why, because we lose sight of that so easily. Um, and then Bao Che's fanning is this, um, each one of us, like I can't fan for you and you can't fan for anybody else. Each one of us has to figure out how to um, bring forth the wind of the Buddha's house. And I think we can imagine that the fanning creates the wind, but I think it's important to consider the wind is the source of the fanning. The wind is the, is the cause of the fanning, not the result. But the person, the particular being, making an effort, moving their hand, moving their particular hand, brings it in the world. And our practice, you know, Zazen as, as an elemental practice in Zen is to um, develop our capacity for that, actually, for being who we are particularly and the Buddha that we are particularly. The offering, the particular offerings we're here to make that, that cannot be made by anybody else. And, and getting comfortable and okay with that, getting familiar. When um, Reverend Grace Song gave the talk last Saturday at here at Brooklyn, at, at Boundless Mind, she said, um, you know, our practice is like, is like primary care. I really like this idea. Prevent, this is like preventative care. This is like every day, every day, every day. So that like when tertiary care is required, when there's a crisis, we know how to be the Buddha we can be in response to it. And then there's the story of um, Fayan and Xuanzu, which Charlie talked about, which is the one where uh, there was the, this very senior student who stopped asking Schwanza. And, um, and Fayan asked him, you know, what, well, how, and, and why aren't you asking? <laughs> He's like, well, what did he say something like? 
I won't lie to you, or I have to confess. You know, I figured it out. <laughs> I think of that part of the Genjo Koan when we think it's already sufficient. It stopped. The Dharma stopped filling all the way, you know, to his toenails. <laughs> it was somewhere. He's still really. I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's a wonderful student, but he stopped uh, letting it course through him. He stopped letting it change. Like that, that realization that he had was great. And then now, and now how is it? You know, like Reb asking Charlie, what is it? What is it? <laughs> what is it? So we, that asking. When I, I, the first time I encountered this koan was um, coming to Doksan with Reb, actually. And I said something, I have no idea what. And he said, the fire goddess comes seeking fire. And I was like, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, I think that's very meaningful. I, but I don't, I, okay. <laughs> Give me some time with that. I just love it though. And I had the same feeling that Schwanza had. Like after a little, after I was like, what? I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. We, we, are, we are seeking, that which we are seeking is what we naturally are. Um, although, I should say, even with that surface understanding, there's layers, it's, it's endless to, under, like, to seek what we, what we really are. Um, but when I was re-encountering the story, I'd forgotten the whole thing. Actually, I'd, I'd sort of forgotten about Schwanza altogether. <laughs> and, that, and, and as I read it again this earlier this week, um, or last week, that he, and then he, he gets offended when Fayan's like, well, now I think you really don't understand. <laughs> and he leaves, because, you know, it hurt. Um, and, but then he was like, oh, okay, maybe, I, maybe there's something in this. Maybe, maybe, you know, Fayan is, he's, he's a good teacher. Maybe there's something I should listen to. And that really struck me as like, oh, that's the story. That's the pivot of the story. That's like um, the fruit of his practice was that totally sincere humility that allowed him to soften around his woundedness and turn around and go back. And like, and that's, fanning we could think like oh no he goes back and then he has great realization and now he's fanning i'm pretty sure that like he started that was he started fanning <laughs> when he turned around and said like maybe there's more to ask that's i think what practice is asking of, of us and supporting us to do keep asking Um, and then there's the Buddha's awakening story. Many, 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 many versions of this. Um, I actually, so, somehow last weekend, over the course of one day, I think both times like lying in bed, I got to tell each of my children a version of this story. <laughs> and I'm like, 
I don't know what kind of beneficence was coming, but they were both receptive and different. And it was at different times. And I have a 12 year old and a 20 year old. These are not particularly receptive people. <laughs> just, just naturally, just like developmentally, you know, but somehow they were like, okay, fine, tell me the story. And with, with one of them in particular, I was making a point about craving. <laughs> I was like, let, let me just get to the second noble truth. <laughs> Um, and my, my, our daughter, who's 20, we have a picture book of, of the, you know, one version of the Buddha's lifetime, and there's a really nice image, actually, of the Buddha. So maybe I'll say, do we, have people heard versions of the story of the Buddha waking up? Is there anyone who's like, I don't know, about the Buddha? <laughs> so some of the important elements of this story. Um, Sujata human woman who uh, brought the Buddha enough nourishment to not cross over into death and then become a Buddha. Um, and also another piece I think is really an important teaching is the Buddha sits down with this great resolve to wake up, not, have, not waking up yet, but getting, but like really, really getting like resolved. And this agitates um, the one who has dominion over our realm, which is Mara. And I know, I feel like I say this all the time, but I think it's important to keep remembering, we live in the realm of desire. It is Mara's dominion. She has like long fingernails <laughs> and lots of tricks. And the Buddha's resolve is like a, like a agitating thing for the god of desire. So this, this giant being, I imagine, although I think they could take different shapes, turned to, was like, what's that little human doing? <laughs> and I'm, oh, well, I'm gonna stop them. I've stopped all the other ones who have been trying. And, and this, then there's the stories of how Mara sends um, different things at the Buddha to try to mess with the resolve. As I was thinking about this yesterday, I was realizing that um, what the Buddha was inching closer to was like a total understanding of not being separate from anything. And I think in, you know, cosmologically in the story, he hadn't crossed all the way into that understanding or, or into like a whole embodied experience of that yet, but um, getting close enough so that when Mara sent in minions, uh, hordes, warring hordes of terrifying, I think of like the orcs in the Lord of the Rings, terrifying beings with spears and knives and arrows, poisons and gnashing teeth. Um, the image that comes from actually from this book that our daughter remembers from her childhood is the Buddha is sitting there and then there's this sort of halo of like a force field and then the arrows are coming and but then when they hit the force field they turn into flower petals. And um, yeah, and again, like when I looked at my 
kind of my unexamined ideas about that. It was like, oh yeah, the power of wisdom was doing that. But, but yesterday, as I thought about it, I felt like, oh, I think what was happening, or, or another version is, um, Mara was depending on that wisdom being sitting there feeling separate from spears and daggers and warfare and gnashing teeth. And the Buddha's inching closer to being like, I I'm not apart from that. And that's what turns it into something beautiful. And then Mara was like, okay, that's not working. I'm gonna send in things that induce craving and things that induce doubt and things that induce boredom. You have probably met some of these things <laughs> this week. You know, in this, this seven day retreat as, as has been mentioned, like this is our celebration. We're reenacting. Sorry, I just thought like we're cosplaying. <laughs> <laughs> We're reenacting, and then we're like literally reenacting the the you know, and so we sit with with torment, with terror, with boredom, with craving, distraction. And then that didn't work. Mars like okay, yeah, that doesn't always work. Some of these people really are tenacious. I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna do the one that gets them all. So Mara like clears the whole field and walks up themselves and says, who do you think you are? What right do you think you have, tiny human, to like defy me and to, and to find peace? Not even defy me, but who do you think you are to find peace in my realm? And again, I think for me, an important piece of the story now has become the, the wisdom being sitting there is like, I'm not apart from you. Okay. I'm gonna arrive here with you with this doubt that I have any value and, and that I can be free. And then I'm going to, um, inhabit my true body. So the Buddha, the Buddha actually, in some versions of the story, the Buddha says, I've done the work I needed to do. So they, that, like that self-worth. I've, I've put in my time. And then also does the thing that's really, again, to me, this is an essential ingredient of the story, reaches down and touches the earth. It's like, this is my body. And also, um, so in part is like, this is my, my, my true body. And also is saying like help to the goddess of the earth. And she's, she's, pretty, she's pretty vast also, but also this whole thing got her attention. And so she like trembled and was like, and was like, yes, that person, that being, that wisdom being, has a seat in this world. And Mara can't stand up to her. <laughs> She's bigger. <laughs> um, this, is, this is the Buddha being like, here is the place. 
and the realization that the Buddha has, then, then, there's, then, then there's this quiet also. It's not right away after the touching of the earth. There's this validation, but then there's the quiet of the night and the dawn rising and Venus sending her qualities. And then the Buddha realizes, oh, all beings are supporting me in this effort. And all beings are liberated. It's not one body. It's not certainly not one male body. All beings were liberated. And, and you know, when we... Charlie was talking about like the ceremony of Zazen is, is us taking our place on the seat as a Buddha. And together and together with all beings showing up. Not separate, not separate, not separate. Um, during Sashin and, and for uh, a lot of time before that, including years, the question comes, um, how do we meet great suffering? How do we meet the suffering of this world in practice? This is in some way, and this is the same question of why do we fan? This is the same answer of the fire being come seeking fire. Um, and, and, I, and also, yeah, so that fire that we are, this Buddha nature is actually fire. And that fire includes all the pain, past, present, and future and how we're made out of it. So if we um, turn towards suffering in the world and we have a feeling that we alone as a separate being need to digest it, the answer to the question of how we do that is we can't. We don't, or we can't do it for very long. Um, if we can feel into our true, our true body, you know, we ask for help from the earth herself, and we feel how our body is not separate, then we can turn all the way toward all the suffering, Again, like it's not a problem. And um, it is beneficial to turn all the way toward it and not, and not hold back from that. And so I wanted to um, have some support <laughs> from Avalokiteshvara, where I've been thinking about and talking with some people about the teaching of her body and actually, Charlie and, and uh, Kosan and Laura and I have been talking about how we meet a Avalokiteshvara at, in the temple 
So this, this tanka, which comes from the Tibetan tradition, is, is, is one manifestation of Avalokiteshvara's body and the teaching of her body. She's the embodiment of compassion. And the way that she physically is formed is teaching about how compassion is in the world. And I can say more about that. I'm thinking about, <clears throat> I know that at, at Carroll Street, there, there's a Guanyin, I'm sure a number of you can picture this. She now lives at Ancestral Heart. She's also Avalokiteshvara. Um, Avalokiteshvaras or Kuanyins or Kanons are, um, or criers, regarders of the world's cries. That's what her name means in all those different languages. Um, sometimes, so sometimes she's like this with 11 heads and a thousand hands and arms and, and a, an eye on each palm and tools in some of her hands. And this is what this is depicting behind me. Um, sometimes she looks like a singular being with very beautiful flowy robes and usually a very serene face. And often she's standing like on the head of a dragon. Sometimes she even has like this gentle vase. Like she's like, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> she, the dragon can go, you know, move and go all over the place. And she's just on the head or on the shoulders, the dragon. No, like just, I'm here. Um, before Avalokiteshvara became her bodhisattva self, she was a great practitioner who was working really, really hard through many lifetimes, similar to the story of the Buddha. And I shared this with Weishin probably for like the third time, <laughs> it always comes up. Um, but I'll share, it, I'll share it with all of us because I think this is such a good image. She worked really, really hard and cleared out the hell realms this is very, very hard to do. <laughs> this is how powerful she is. She did it. They were empty. This was when she only had one head. Bye-bye, suffering. I did it. She was done, like Schwanza. <laughs> she was done. And Amitabha Buddha was there with her. I picture him sort of being like patting her on the back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be okay. But, and so she looked that way, it was all clear. Then, then she looked over here where the entry to hell is and people are pouring in. <laughs> it was so painful for her that her, her well, it's, it's an interesting idea. Like, did her head explode or did Amitabha Buddha let her head multiply? I don't know. Like we can feel that out in any given situation where we cannot deal with what's coming, the suffering that we see pouring in that's like untenable because it happens to us. This is us. We're doing good. We're doing good. Suffering's done. <laughs> <laughs> and he, but Amitabha Buddha, in his great compassion, um, let her head reform as 11 heads. So three, 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 one, and then his on the top. 
And one piece, of, there's, there's a few pieces of that teaching that are, to me seem very relevant, at least right now, and I'll keep asking. But one of them is she can see from many, many vantage points and that that's a necessary body to have to meet the suffering of the world with compassion. And the other one is that she is not alone. Amitabha Buddha is like, I'll just be with you all the time. Um, I'll, I'll offer my wisdom body and we'll, we'll do this together. And um, that to me is a really important teaching in terms of how do we meet the suffering of the world we get really serious and diligent about um, arriving and, and checking to see if we might have a feeling that we have to do it ourselves. We might even have the feeling we have to do all of it ourselves. I have met people. I have been one. I, I, like, I have to hold it all. Not that, like, if we literally said that, we'd be like, well, I know that's not true. But the feeling is, I have to hold it all. And then she has these thousand hands and arms and, and an eye and, these, and different tools. And that's a teaching. And that's many teachings, actually. You know, like, that's a koan that we can just keep, like, well, what's with that? What's with that? And there are some, there are some great koans. One of them is the, the, the end of the koan is throughout the body, hands and eyes. Um, so when we want to meet the suffering of the world, one recommendation is we, we get settled enough to uh, really feel that we lend ourselves or we, we offer ourselves to be part of Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva's body. We become some of the hands and some of the eyes and some of the heads. Um, one. We, we lend ourselves. When we lend ourselves to be part of her body, she lends her body to be us in like a wildly non-dual thing. <laughs> so we are both like, you know, becoming giant and also becoming our very particular selves and in this body, because we remember we're not alone in this, being really diligent, Amitabha is sitting there like, I'm reminding you. Now we can turn. We don't even have to turn. We, have, we can see all around. We can regard, like Yoko was bringing that, the three ears. I love that it's three ears. Like, who has three ears? <laughs> Like, where's it? Like, one's here? Like, well, that's the thing. You know, like, maybe, maybe there's a couple people with three ears, but mostly people have two, you know, like, and so in order to have three ears, you have to be multiple. You can't be singular. It takes three ears. Receptive, receptive, receptive. Listen, regard the cries of the world. So, I thought, I, um, I realized that when people during Sashin have been asking me about how, how do I meet this pain, 
of different things in the world, um, I've been saying things. Um, but I felt some regret that I haven't, that, that we hadn't just taken a moment to, to do that together right there in Dokuzong. So I thought we could take a moment to do that together this morning. That we could, um, that we could come into our bodies for a few minutes and use our discernment um, because we are all working with different karmic streams. And so we use our, we use our compassionate discernment for ourselves. What, what, can my, what can my heart deal with right now? What am I up for? Um, but the first thing we can do is to actually feel into the body of this sangha as it's, as it's showing up in the, this room and in this sashin today. And, and feel that. That my body, your body, and each, each of our bodies We've, we've actually offered ourselves to this bigger body. And in that, we, um, we have a broader capacity than we would if we were imagining ourselves isolated. And so we start there. Arrive in what's happening for ourselves. Arrive in your particular body. Find the sensations. Start with that. And now open to the possibility of how we're offering our bodies and, our, and our, we're being offered a body that is made up of many beings. Many stories, many, many, so many ancestors. I sometimes have images of all of our ancestors like coming around and, and sort of getting a kick out of each other. So they're here, so that's part of our body. All, and all of them, you know, not just genetic ones. The, the, all the people, all the people presently who are practicing, sitting in Rohatsu right now, our body is offered to that body. And if we can find some stability in that, then we can ask the question, what is in my heart right now? What is all of what's in my heart that I can see? 
or I can perceive, I can feel. And even if there's something that feels like a very personal pain, can I, can, and it's a question, but can I make an offering of it into this bigger body and trust it to be held in this wider capacity? Myself, it, it, some things are coming up that I often hold at bay. But I appreciate that I have some experience with this being a trustworthy situation. So if it isn't for you today, that's really okay. And then I, I want to put into our collective heart some pain that's specific in the world that I've been trying to digest and I know others have in different ways and see and, and like can we can we stay steady so yesterday I heard these words in Gaza, 17,000 people have died since the beginning of October. I can't actually picture that many people. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of life. It's a lot of precious human, particular Buddhas with particular offerings that have been cut off. And because of things I've learned over the years, every time I heard the word Gaza, every time I hear the word Gaza, I think 50% children, 50% children. Somewhere around 8,500 maybe children. This is very painful, but try, like, see if we, can we as a body, in the stability we've been cultivating, welcome Avalokiteshvara to be us and regard. She's not a solution maker. She's a regarder. She witnesses, she listens. I looked out the I, I look out the window from the room that I'm in doing Doksan, and there's all these kids that play in this playground. And I just was like, it wasn't I didn't it wasn't like a thing I was trying to do. I just was picturing their sweet relatively safe-looking bodies being crushed. Um, I know that's painful. Um, 
And it's, it's also the request of our practice to, to stay There's this beautiful image in Genjo Kwan, you know, like there's a dewdrop and the whole sky is there. That's a nice, that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful version. There's a dewdrop and also like burning flames are, all the burning flames are reflected. The whole world is reflected. That's us. We are the dewdrop, each of us. We are what the whole of it is reflected in. That's how we're fire goddesses. We are made of this stuff, this history, this karma, the ongoing pain, the future pain. This morning, as I bite tears through the park, there was a group of people then they and you could somehow I could just felt like they were not they didn't come there together they were kind of a motley crew and they were looking in one direction and because they were looking this is like their their bodies now impacted my body I was like what are they looking at so like a super common human experience if a bunch of people are going and we just go what are we looking at and the sun was rising and there was fog that was low. So the trees were making it so that there were these like beams. It was wildly beautiful. And all these people were pausing. And, and I teared up and I was like, and that's also part of the world. This is also the world. The people are like, oh, the sun's rising. <laughs> great that there this is also our job as bodhisattvas to take in wonder it's also our job as bodhisattvas to to see children running around on a playground and 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 wish them safety feel that intention like may you be well may you be protected so that we extend that without any hesitation to every child everywhere. So when we ask that question, like how can I practice with this level of suffering? That's us as fire gods and goddesses and deities seeking fire. We're already made of it and we're not apart. In the fabric of our being, we know how to be with this. It's just that we have to care for the many layers that say that, 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 that got put on top that say separate, 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 separate. The last thing I'll say is, um, oh, no, it's two things. We're going to go a little over, I'm sorry. <laughs>
there's two things. Um, when I was feeling into this yesterday, I was feeling like, and so when a, when a, when something that arises, like the word 17,000 people, when that arises, that's something to, you know, ground, open, connect, regard. Equally, when like a thread, that's just like this thread of shame, when we, we happen upon like just this thread of shame, that's like, where does this come from? And then we look and it, it's, it goes like way back in history and it's very personal. And we think about like our grandfather or something. It's like, whoa. And it feels like, well, maybe that's too personal to spend time with. I would say, please don't skip over. And, and same thing, ground, ask for help, feel into how we're a part of a wider body, offer our body, and then offer this particular pain to be regarded. That's the same activity. When our, when our activity is large, our field is large. When, our, when the scope is large, our field is large. When our need is small, our field is small. In the Genjiko, and then it says, and thus we totally cover the full range, we, and we totally experience our realm. So the very last thing I wanted to say was um, to remember that that image that yet Yoko was helping us see, like the, the regard, 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 and then the other radical was a hand, you know, her hand, our, our her hand. <laughs> Avalokiteshvara's hand, regard, 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 now, now do something. This, this taking in of the pain is not the whole of our response. It's the beginning over and over again. And then, and then allow our activity in the world, the fanning, to come from there. May our intention equally penetrate our Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.